Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. I'm one of your hosts. Uh, anyway, uh, joining me uh, via satellite. Not really. It's the internet now, but it used to be satellite back in the day. It's uh, my friend Nicholas S. Cirrus, uh, LH Cigars, my co-host, my friend Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You uh, look like you're in a different location there uh, from where you usually are, my friend. Oh, oh, I guess we're going to have to talk about that, aren't we? We are indeed. Well, we'll give you a little bit of insight behind the scenes. Uh, This week, I am in Puriscal, Costa Rica, at the hopefully someday to be very famous Tobacos de Costa Rica factory where I've been blending all week and I'm going to be here for the rest of the week. And I was away and, and I said to James, I don't know if it was it my idea, James, or your idea. I don't remember whose idea it was. Not that it matters. It was your idea. Was, it was 100% okay. your idea. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Um, no, I said, look, uh, you know, James knows I've done factory tours. Um, and I thought, you know what, what would be really cool is while I'm down here, why don't we do a virtual tour? And then we realized the logistics of the internet in the factory and everything else wasn't really happening. But we kind of have a little treat for you where we basically are giving you a little behind the curtain, behind the scenes at the factory. And with us today as our guest and also as my friend, my partner, uh, I've known him since he was a little kid. Uh, Well, at least as a teenager. Uh, yeah. Felipe, he goes by Guzman, but I think his real name is Felipe Leon Guzman. Bermudez, right. Bermuda, Bermudez, Bermudez. Felipe, Fe, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I sound like a gringo. Bermudez. So your real name, what do you want to go by, Felipe? What do you want everyone to know you by? I mean, everyone's going to know you by Felipe, but what do we, uh, Felipe Guzman? You want to go by that? Felipe or no? Leon. Felipe Leon, right? Yeah. His father is Don Olman, uh, Leon Guzman. And this is his youngest. Is your sister younger than you? Yeah, she's younger, yeah. Okay, so he's the middle child. The middle. He's the middle child. And like I said, I've known him since he was in high school, a little teenager. And now he's a big shot here at the factory. He's the... Uh, he looks nervous. Relax, Felipe. He is the, um, what would we say you were? Uh, administrative. Administrative uh, at, the, at the factory. His older brother, Andres, is the uh, operational uh, handling of the starts. And pretty much his father, who he'll go on and tell the story, but basically handed the reins quasi. He's still steering. But um, he handed it to the to the young boys who are taking over. So another generation. Introduce yourself, Felipe, and welcome to Simply Stogies. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, well, hi everybody. My name is Felipe. As Nick told you, I am the second kid of this family. Uh, well. We have been with our dad. My brother has been working with him for a longer time. Uh, I joined the team, I would say, like, maybe like eight years ago, something like that, right after I finished the university. Um, But we have been in this industry since we were kids. So we know 
and we learned all the different processes uh, to make a great cigar. Uh, that was basically me, you know, uh, someone who is uh, paying attention to all those li little details that make the difference to offer a great cigar for all of you. Felipe, let me let me let me ask you a question about the factory itself. How long has the factory been in operation? Uh, we have been working since 1997, so it's more or less 26 years now. Yeah. So 26 years. You're a younger kid, like compared to myself and Nick. We're both old, old men. Uh, so this is for 26 years. You've you've been um, uh, helping your dad and learning the business. What's it like? Let me just ask you this. Like, what's it like growing up uh, around the industry, like in a factory that your dad works? There, I'm guessing you you and your brothers and brother and sister played there as kids and, and got to know everyone. Like, what's that like growing up in, in that culture of tobacco? Uh, that's exactly what you say. You know, we were kids and we were playing around the factory and not knowing what's, what was really happening over there. Because when you're a kid, you simply stop by and look at the people working, rolling cigars, but you don't even understand what they are doing. Uh, but I remember my dad involved us in all these pretty much when we were like 10 and 11 years old. And he told us, okay, guys, you have to start learning what we do here. Uh, at the time, we planted tobacco here in Costa Rica, so we were during our vacations, part of the time at the factory, part of the time at the tobacco fields. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, of course, we were kids. Uh, and even though you try to learn, uh, there are so many things that you don't pay attention to. And your dad, uh, my dad is a very strict guy. So he was always like, guys, don't do that. You have to do it this way. And he probably forgot that we were kids, 10 and 11 years old. Uh, our mentality was completely different to what is today. But uh, we were always uh, working with him, you know, like helping him, I would say. Uh, mostly he was explaining us, okay, we do it this way and we do this process in order to get this result. This is a crucial or very important process. Uh, however, I'm not going to lie. My dad is not the best person teaching others. He has a lot of knowledge, but <laughs> that's an area that he could improve, you know? Uh, well, you want to know because... something, Felipe? Let me, let me tell you a little secret. It's harder to teach your kids than strangers. It's true because you, you, you're more... You expect more from your kids. You just think they're going to get it. So I, you got to give him a little bit of a pass in that area because he was your dad. If he was a complete stranger or somebody that you were working for, it would be a different, you know, dynamic is what I'm saying. Yeah, I totally agree, especially because uh, I see exactly what you say. Uh, when he has to teach someone else, he does it in a more detailed way because with us, he thinks that we know everything. It's like, well, guys, you have been in this industry for a while. You should know this already. <laughs> and we are like, well, we know you do that, but we don't really know how you do it. You should explain us a little bit in order to understand all the clear concept. But sometimes it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would imagine. I, look, come in, like you're talking to a, to a guy who grew up with his dad 
trying to teach him how to, you know, change his own oil and work on the car on the engine. And as a kid, I had zero interest in that. So he, he would do the same thing. Think that I knew all, cause you've been in the garage with me all this time. I wasn't paying attention. So I understand, I understand your pain. Like dads are just like yeah. that. And I, I, I'm trying to break that cycle and trying to get like very detailed with my daughter. Uh, but I also find that like, no, like you're my daughter. Just figure it out. You're not like, just do it. You should be able to do it. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I get it. Let me, let me ask Nick. I kind of want to, I want to switch gears. So we kind of, we, we know Felipe and where, like where he came from and born into it and what, but Nick, like you, you, you chose this, this factory, right? Like it wasn't like the factory. Yeah, It's not like the factory chose you, you chose the factory. So talk about that when you, when you were beginning LH cigars and you were looking for a factory, what drew you to this factory? What drew you to the tobacco that they roll? Uh, and, and what did that look like for you going into that? And then, you know, you can tell the story from there. Well, it was a very serendipitous, fortuitous uh, meeting. I came to Costa Rica. I was in search at the time I was just making cigars uh, for the lounges in the Middle East and I was looking to produce my own cigars. And um, in Cuba, people were telling me about, you know, hey, you know, I, I was looking for Cuban-esque style people that understood that. And um, Don Allman, uh actually part of his business, or I don't know if it was his main business, Felipe could tell you better, is also a tobacco broker. So he was in Cuba like often, you know, and, and he was there and You'd see him and I'm like, I don't know who he was. I, I didn't even know if he was, you know, Cuban or whatever. But so I never knew who he was, but he was there often because I was there often. Um, and I came to because of a, another roller blender in Cuba told me go to Costa Rica and seek out. He was actually telling me to seek out another Cuban guy that was here. So when I came here, I, I didn't know who I was looking or where I was looking. And I ended up coming here to the factory and meeting, uh, you know, Allman and and uh, we hit it off. And then we would meet every month in Cuba. We started working uh, on blends. It wasn't like, hey, you're, you're going to be my factory and let's do it. Uh, I wanted to understand. And then by keeping by by coming here often and realizing that not only did Ullman understand, but the factory in general, you know, they were you have to understand the majority of the cigars that are produced in this factory go overseas. Um, and that's where they started. The majority initially. Am I am I wrong, Felipe? Kids. <laughs> Am I wrong? Are you? Are you? No, no, you're right. I, it's because okay. I'm thinking about a story that I'm going to tell you right after you finish. <laughs> okay. Well, so we, and you have to understand in the first years, I mean, my Spanish has gotten a bit better, but in the beginning, you know, um, yeah, we were communicating it was a little bit more difficult, but what I've always told on the show. And I always tell when you meet people, of like mind, especially in the cigar business and the tobacco business. I've, I've told the story where just being in the presence of Alejandro Robina and certain master blenders or just people naturally just, they have so much knowledge. I believe somehow through osmosis or whatever you want to call it, I just gain information. Just I, I'm telling you, and it's a link that I get. And I had that similar connection and love the family. Like I said, I met you know, uh, Andres and, and, and Felipe and his, and his sister and, and, and their mom, uh, at the factory, they were, you know, younger kids, they weren't in diapers or anything. They were in high school, but I remember, you know, talking to Felipe cause he was always at the factory and he was gone and all going between high school and going to college. And, and I'm like, Hey, you smoke cigars? No, 
I don't. I'm like, okay, what are your interests? You know, he's like, well, if I remember, he told me he was into languages and that's why I'm sure he speaks uh, English pretty well. And I know French was also a passion of his. He enjoyed French more. And um, so I met and I realized early on the, the first blend that I made uh, here at the factory, it took me probably 10, 11 months, you know, uh, because of course I was uncomfortable with my own abilities and just wanted to make sure I did it right. And I learned, and, and it still can take a long time when you're really honing it down, but I had a very specific blend and taste that I was looking for. And he had the patience uh, w with me initially and, and, and the folks at the factory. So, uh, you know, it was a good, uh, I'm very, very happy with the uh, factory selection and uh, that I'm a part of this, this uh, family. Go ahead, Felipe, tell tell your story. Yeah, no, I, I was going to tell you that um, the very first time you came to Costa Rica, I went to the airport to pick you up. At the time, you I did? was uh, underage. Yeah, at the time, I was underage. Uh, so we had a driver. He went with me. And I remember I was calling to the factory because they gave me your physical description. But I didn't that, have that like, your name. That, no, Felipe, that wasn't the first time I came to the factory because I came you on my should. own the first time. Yeah, I must have been the second or third time because the first time I found it and I came here and met him. The second time, I think, or one of the times, I remember you, now that you mentioned it, I remember you picking me up the first time I met you. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. You picking yeah, you're right. That yeah. I went there with a driver and I was coming to the factory and I was asking that I'm trying to find the guy, but it's impossible. And you were <laughs> backwards, you know, like we were next to each other but we didn't know each other so impossible to to know who i was looking for wow. what was felipe don't like you, like i want I, give me the truth is what, essentially what i want to say is give me the truth here like i want i want an honest honest answer when you first saw mr cirrus um what were your impressions were you like this guy like this fucking gringo. gringo. Like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, like, was it, was it like, what are you doing here? Kind of thing. Or was, were you like, okay, like, I get it. He's kind of a cool guy. He's a cool cat. I get it. Well, Nick does, is that kind of person that when you look at him for the first time, he's kind of serious. So I was a bit impressed. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was a bit impressed and and then I talked to him, but he was kind of serious. Then we went to the car and we started talking and everything was very smooth, you know. But for the first time, I was like, kind of, should I talk to this guy or should I be quiet all the way to the factory? <laughs> yeah, because I was oh, like I, 15 years old at the time. Yeah, yeah. no, he comes across <laughs> as very serious, doesn't he? He's always, I can be serious, yeah. but, you know. No, but I, now, like I've got to know you, Nick. You're a fun-loving guy. You like to you like to have some fun. You're, you're I like you, to think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like you have this, you have this, this, this. Uh, I don't want to call it like this rough candy, uh, hard candy exterior on the outside to get to like that that milky chocolate on the inside. But I mean, it's similar to that. You kind of got to get to know you. You are a. Uh, uh, you can be. You can be very serious. But you chose. You chose this this factor, and obviously, it's worked out for you. LH cigars. It does very well Absolutely. overseas. Uh, I'm smoking the Nikos now. You blended that for the American palate. I still prefer the Claro, but the Nikos is a very close second. Um, and so you you would you would learn how to blend in Cuba. You come to Costa Rica to find a factory. You find this factory. You said it took you ten months 
to get that first blend out because you wanted it to be, be perfect. Talk about the process that you kind of went through with the guys there at the factory over that 10 months to get to that first blend where you were like, this is it. This is well, what I want. part of the, re- the, the reason why it took so long is I literally would take, not that I didn't trust the factory, but I would take, you know, my blends and the different st- and I would bring them to Cuba. And I had these people that I knew for years there that I really, you know, they were the ligadores for Habanos and from these, and I wanted them to get their opinion because again, I was looking for an overseas uh, palette, which is, you know, a Cuban palette. So I wanted to make sure it jived, but at the same time, the lounge that, that I was a part of, um, they wanted something stronger. So the whole reason that I even bothered to create a non-Cuban, look, I didn't want to duplicate Cuban because that already exists. So I wanted to have something that was in the palette. And I, and I believe that the first couple we did, you know, and it took a long time because I kept changing it, kept changing it. And, and I would say, well, and then uh, Altman would be, like I said, I would see him every month and I'm like, well, you know what, let's, let's try this and let's try that. It took a long time. Now, if I stayed in the factory for 10 months straight, I think it would have taken a little bit less time. That's why it took as long as it did. But yeah, there was a lot of initial revisions and changes and constantly uh, tweaking it. But, you know, I, I've gotten better at it. I've trusted my own palate. I know um, I've, I've grown better doing what I do. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a good, uh, it's been a good marriage for sure. Absolutely. Felipe, let's, let's talk about the factory now. Like let's get into the nitty gritty. So if you're listening to this podcast on, on uh, wherever you're listening, whether it's uh, Spotify, iHeart, uh, Amazon, wherever, Google, Apple, like it doesn't matter. You're just listening to it. Go to our YouTube channel and you're going to get to see some behind the scenes footage uh, of this uh, factory while we talk about it, while Felipe, uh, Felipe talks about it, while Nick talks about it, while I ask uh, questions that only a gringo who's never been to a factory will ask. Um, <laughs> so make sure you go to YouTube uh, and, and check it out. But but let's talk about the process. When the tobacco arrives in the factory, Felipe, what's the first thing you and your team there do with it? Well, uh, the quick answer would be fermentation, but you know, during all the transportation, all the shipping, uh, the tobacco can change a little bit uh, its flavor. Uh, so the very first thing we do is to try the tobacco we just received uh, in order to make sure that there's nothing different compared to what we were expecting. Uh, but right after we have that clear, then we jumped into the fermentation. Yeah, that would be the quick answer. How how much, and this is coming from a, a place of ignorance, how much can the tobacco flavors change in transportation to the factory? Uh, not really, because uh, they come very well packed, uh, were very well protected. However, sometimes uh, when they go into inspection, uh, they have to expose the tobacco to certain humidity that could affect it. And sometimes we get uh, like comments from the broker saying, the importer saying uh, that one of the boxes was a little wet, so make sure that it was in proper conditions. And sometimes we even have to go to, to the port 
just to make sure that uh, the tobacco is uh, in the proper condition. Uh, but I would say we have never had a case in which the tobacco really changes from zero to 10, but uh, we always try it, no matter what. It's just like part of our DNA. Just there, there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of horror stories, not with this factory, but I've talked to many other factories and other people that are importing tobacco. Sometimes what you buy is not what you get. You know, there's been things that have happened with certain maybe not so scrupulous, uh, you know, growers or, or brokers of tobacco where they're sending you. And it happens a lot, you know, like they'll or they'll put uh, some tobacco that's just, you know, shit or bad. And that's not what you pick. So the first thing, not only to check to make sure, I mean, for the factory's case, it's to make sure that it's, you know, it didn't get damaged along the way or things didn't happen in the conditions and bringing it there. But there's horror stories for other people that they're just being shipped. You don't know what you're getting, right? It comes to you and then you got to check it and, and inspect it and make sure that it's correct. And then go from there. Go ahead, Felipe. I just wanted to add that comment for other factories and other people that are importing tobacco. Oh, you're right. Uh, and it happens very often. In our case, we have a very good relationship with the suppliers and it has been for a while. So we don't really doubt on the consistency of the flavor, but we always pay attention to the conditions during transportation and when they go to port, especially because Costa Rica is kind of picky. Uh, with vegetables and especially tobacco in this case. Yeah. So it, it shows up and you inspect it. And then if you need to, you, you, you maybe smoke them just to make sure that the flavor is, is what you were looking for and what you expected out of this as it arrives. But you say it goes uh, right to fermentation from there as it comes in. Talk about the fermentation process without giving away anything proprietary that is specific to what you guys do and what other, sh uh, other factories don't. But, walk me through that fermentation process. You, you've inspected the tobacco now and it goes to that. Like, what are you, what are you doing with it? Okay. Um, well, mostly binders and wrappers, uh, they will be the first ones going into the fermentation because they are going to take a longer time, let's say no less than one year in fermentation. Uh, we have to give the proper conditions in terms of humidity we have to spray some water moisture the tobacco uh, right once uh, the tobacco is moisture then we are going to start making the pilon you know very well this is piling the tobacco all together uh, we have a specific uh, shape or in way to create the pilon to set it up uh, and we also have our technique Every factory has a specific technique. Uh, some of them use a little pieces of tobacco. Some of them use paper uh, to make the fermentation process uh, not only faster, but I would say uniform in order to make sure that all the leaves are going to receive the same heat and the same uh, process during uh, this fermentation. Uh, but yeah, we make that pilon that could have a, well, that's a good question. Let's say like 2000 pounds of tobacco is a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they are going to stay there for uh, at least six 
weeks before we touch it again. So we are going to keep the tobacco there for a while. Uh, the tobacco will start working with the bacteria and the environment they need in order to start the fermentation and to improve uh, not only color and flavor, but aroma as well and take some ammoniac out of that tobacco. So part of, part so of for, that, well, I'm, go ahead, Nick, go ahead. Well, I was going to say for the, the people that are listening that have never even heard the term, let's, let's, you know, what, what fermentation is and part of the process of taking tobacco from, you know, being grown, being cut, being put into these big bundles before it's fermented. Fermentation Really, the best way to explain what fermentation really means is a controlled rotting, if you think about it. You know, it's it's a not a great term, but that's really what it is. And for people that are not watching the video, they're put in a pilonis. A pilonis is like a pylon. It's a rectangular shape, generally speaking, but we use other shapes depending on which country comes back and we have better results. And so those are some of the tricks of the trade of the factory and, and other factories, I'm sure. It's not you know, it's not like a trade secret, but right. we all have our little techniques that we use. So it's put into this pilon, into this square, rectangular, very large um, thing, you know, this area. And the, the tobacco is laid out in rows and it keeps, um, you know, one layer after another layer after another layer and in a rectangular shape. And then on top, uh, we put, which you'll see in the video, a little shaving sometimes of tobacco to just try to keep the moisture. And then we use the plastic on top for the, the sweating, but we use the tobacco to not let the, the sweating get onto it. Uh, and then basically the, the pilon is sit there. Like you said, it could take a year and the control rotting is while the tobacco is sitting there, it's generating heat. So you, you know, if you go, if you ever visit a factory and, and someday we'll do factory tours again here, if you stick your hand in the middle of like the layers of the tobacco, you will feel the heat and, and it's generated in the center and it goes outwards. So the, you take that heat and, and once it's generated and you use thermometers and you, you wait to what temperature you figure it is for the, for the, for the tobacco of what the source of where it's coming from. And then you reposition, go ahead. I, I don't want to tell the story Felipe. you, tell it Go ahead on the fermentation. I just wanted to have people understand because a lot of people that are listening don't even know maybe what a pilona is, you know? No, that's, uh, thank you so much for helping me with that. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you know, sometimes we, think that everybody understands pretty well what we are talking about because for us, my dad thinks everybody knows, but that's exactly what you say. During all that time, we have to control daily the temperature of the pilon. There are specific temperatures for each of the stages. It's not the same when you just put uh, tobacco for the first time into the fermentation process compared to one that has been fermented for, let's say, six months. Uh, the temperature will change because you cannot uh, lose the uh, this uh, oily texture of the wrapper, for example. This is something very important, very uh, precious, and that's something that you have to care about. Yeah, uh, just for people who may not know, when you look at your cigar, um, if it's if it's been well maintained, you can see an oily sheen on the wrapper of most cigars. 
Uh, you can see it reflect off the light. It doesn't matter if the wrapper's toothy or not. You should see a little bit of oil. And so it's important to keep that because that's where the flavor is. And the longer that the, the cigars you you age in your, in your humidor are, are kept there, the more oils you'll lose. And then over time, it just depends on the cigar, that'll lose flavor. And it, you know, I, I've smoked cigars that are 10, 12, 13 years old that taste a lot like cardboard because there's not a whole lot of oil left on them. Well, I was going to mention the, you know, the fermentation process is one of the most important parts of creating the cigar. It's probably the most important. Well, they're all equally important, but it's also a very important stage because if you ruin that, then, then the tobacco is ruined and then your end product is going to be, be crap as well. So it's very crucial that it's maintained and monitored and marked, you know, every time the, the temperature is checked, it's marked down. Um, again, the fermentation is the cooking process of the tobacco. Like a chef, you have to be over your pots, making sure. And, and how you cook it makes the world a difference. You know, I always use the the analogy of like food or like if you're cooking something, if you want to cook it quickly, you may lose a lot of the flavor. Sometimes a slow simmer is going to get more uh, a better taste out of it. In some factories. Uh, maybe rush the process a bit because they're more anxious to get it out and time is money. So maybe they'll let the temperature go a little higher than it should to to rush the process along. So it's very cru- uh, crucial to make sure that the proper formula is kept to make that cooking process of the tobacco. That's really a very, very important part of the, uh, of, uh, of the tobacco process. Without giving away, Felipe, uh, trade secrets, uh, is there a minimum temperature that you are waiting for those uh, pylons to, to get to in the middle before you start rearranging them, uh, you know, and moving the what's in the middle elsewhere and moving the top, wherever, however you guys do it? Uh, what, what Like, what's just the minimum temperature you're waiting for that to get to? Well, I'm going to explain you a little bit and Nick is going to answer for me because I'm not pretty good at doing conversions between uh, Celsius and Fahrenheit. Me, me, me either. Yeah, me either. But no, I'm not so uh, great either. Good, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you but, know the Celsius. Uh, uh, you know, but uh, the point is that here in Costa Rica, we have a very warm uh, weather. So our weather helps us to keep always uh, a, a, good, a good temperature in our pilones. Now, the pilones, I would say, they could be like 90, I think 90 Fahrenheit. Uh, but I cannot really answer for a, like give a specific temperature because it depends not only on the variety of tobacco, but on the uh, priming of the tobacco that we are fermenting at the time. Uh, it's not the same fermenting uh, binder and wrapper or filler. So... Uh, but let's say there's, 90, there's a lot of variable, a lot yeah, of variables. Yeah. The it's country of origin, you know, uh, yeah. it, it, the key is the, the, the height of the, t- the temperature, like you don't want it to get like, generally speaking, uh, like uh, depending again, if it's wrapper binder versus, or versus, uh, the other primings, um, you know, like 120, you know, maximum, some, some people let it go to 150, you know, um, again, it's all a formula. Every tobacco has its, has its temperature that it should be. And from experience and working with the tobaccos you work with, you get better as you go, uh, the years go on and the experiences 
is uh, there, you figure out what it is. And again, it's all an individual thing as the leaves are individual, but they're so specific to the country, the priming, um, the temperature that's outside, the ambient temperature inside, you're putting it all there. So just to say what temperature, basically speaking, as a general rule of thumb, it gets to at least, you know, 90 to 100 minimum, you know, to a little bit higher than that. Right, Felipe? Did I hit it? Yeah. All yeah. Right. So, so Felipe, uh, in the video that, that we that we watched while you were talking about the fermentation uh, process and, and, and there are they're color coded. You guys tie uh, twine around it or string color coded string. So we saw, I think, red, blue, white. Yeah, <clears throat> and, and your brother, uh, Andres, was was going through and, and kind of showing those off. Those get put on. Uh, during the sorting process when they first arrived during that inspection process. Is that right? Yeah. We use different colors of ribbons in order to know what variety of tobacco we are working with. Uh, also, if it is binder and wrapper, because uh, when you are sorting, binder and wrapper come from the same uh, prime, for example. So you have to make a difference. And remember that when you're going to pile all this tobacco, they are going to be mixed in terms that you will have binder and wrapper, especially at the very first stages. And the only way to know what you have in there is by paying attention to the color of the ribbon. But it depends. That's our system. Because if you go to other factories, they use uh, labels. And it depends very much. But in our case, we use colors. And the color is not only for the variety, it also tells us uh, how fermented this tobacco has been. For example, if it is the first fermentation, second fermentation, third fermentation, uh, that way we know, okay, this tobacco is ready for the next week, more or less. Of course, we have to try the tobacco in order to know if it is uh, uh, in the proper point of fermentation, but uh, it tells us easy uh, for example okay this is the most advanced tobacco in terms of fermentation so that's the the reason why we use different colors of ribbons let, let me let me ask you before i go more into the sorting uh, of the uh of the leaves let me let me ask you what does the fermentation room smell like because when i hear fermentation uh i take it back to you know beer and liquor where you know it's got a ferment and like when you smell it it's not always the best smell during that fermentation process. What's the smell like in the fermentation room? Well, uh, I can answer that easily. Ammoniac. However, if you have never smelled that, it's hard to explain because it's a very strong uh, aroma in that room that can make you cry because it's very strong. It's very intense. I'm not going to lie. And some people start coughing, but for us that we love tobacco and that we really enjoy it, it's like. You really start to, you, you really start to love that smell, right, Nick? Yeah. What happens is what he said, the ammonia smell, the ammonia is being released. The main important part of the fermentation is you're, you're getting all the excess things out of the tobacco that you don't want, like excess nicotine, ammonia. Um, and so, yeah, depending again, where the tobacco origin is from, like uh, Nicaraguan tobacco requires more fermentation and it's much more, the, the ammonia smell 
can knock you off on your, you know, off your feet. And then other ones, not so much. Like I've been in different uh, factories and uh, fermentation rooms, like in Cuba, it doesn't seem that it's that bad. Even in it's worse. It's got like, you could still f- smell the ammonia, but you take that and contrast that to in Nicaragua, where I've been through a lot of these huge warehouses. I mean, humongous football field size rooms you literally, some people can't last 30 seconds, you know, or two seconds. So it, it makes a difference. So yeah, there's a lot of ammonia that's being released. So yeah, it's the smell of ammonia. So let's talk about, let's talk about the sorting room uh, now and the, and how you sort these. And I, I, first question, I, I want to focus on the wrapper leaves. Uh, what are you looking for in a wrapper leaf? And I know that probably varies uh, between, uh, you know, customer you know, whoever you're, you're rolling for, um, and whoever really wants it. But I know some cigars look, when you look at the wrapper, they look, uh, I, the best way I can describe it is rustic. They're not, it's not an elegant leaf. It is very, there are a lot of veins. There's a lot of, I, you know, I know that's typically an aesthetic thing that, that, somebody might want but when you're going through and you're like this is wrapper this is wrapper this is wrapper oh this one's binder like what are you looking for how do you sort that well uh, first thing will be the color you're looking for a uniform color however you have to pay attention to the portion of the leaf that you can use to roll the cigar and that's exactly what you're saying we usually use the upper part of the leaf because it has the thinnest vein. So uh, when the people that are sorting the, the wrapper, they take, they open the leaf, they pay attention to the upper part, looking for uniformity in the color, no decolorations, no stains. And uh, as you say, we are trying to avoid those very thick veins because they don't look nice and they are hard to, uh, when you're rolling the cigar, it's hard to work with them and they can also give you combustion problems. So that's mainly with what they pay attention to when they are uh, sorting the, the wrapper. Okay. See, the, the the wrapper leaf is like the book, the cover on a book. So the better it looks, the more appealing it is to somebody to pick it. So the selection process is very important and something doesn't cut it as a as a wrapper, no big deal, it becomes a binder. Um, but yes, the the better looking the wrapper, the better, the easier the sale of the cigar. It's just gonna look nicer. It's gonna be a better presentation. Uh, but Felipe, you have you have customers that that will look at these wrappers and go, I want something that's a little more I would imagine it's probably based more on flavor than looks, but they'll choose a wrapper that may look a little more rustic than than yeah. elegant, right? Yeah. In for example, in terms of color uniformity, Sumatra, for example, is not a wrapper that you can say, ah, oh, it's very neat, a very uniform color because it has some patterns which are part of the of the nature of the leaves. Uh, nevertheless, in that case, as you explained very well, it, the client understands uh, how the variety looks like. And it's impossible to offer something like perfect, let's say, in terms of color, because uh, that's the nature of the leaf. 
but there are some others that you can do a very good searching in order to get a uniform color, no veins, and to choose a beautiful wrapper. So in the video that that uh, Nick took of the sorting room, there were what three or four uh, employees who who were sorting and and tying the ribbons on. And, and do, how long does it take? Well, that that was just because it was the end of the day. That was the end of the day. So how, how, how many folks are usually how many folks are usually sorting then? Well, um, it's a long process. Is it's it not easy? Yeah. Uh, for example, they start only by sorting between thick and thin leaves, uh, just to make a difference. When they know the textures, they can move to those little details like uh, uniformity in color, the veins, uh, and they start knowing more about the varieties. It's not the same sorting a, a Connecticut wrapper than a Sumatra wrapper, for example. Uh, I would say they need at least... Uh, no less than three years to be doing that. And when I mean three years is working directly with leaf. Sorting, uh, opening leaf, like stretching the leaves, and they need to be very familiar with the different varieties because, uh, for example, you can take even with, a, 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 what can I tell you, like a Corojo, a leaf that look like maybe another variety, you should know what are the specifications for that uh, tobacco that you are working with. It's not the same sorting for all the tobacco. Even though there are like specific main points that you have to pay attention to, you also have to adapt your sorting to the variety you are working with. So it takes three years of working with the leaves and whatnot, but to get to uh, 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 one of the palones, right, where they're, well, you're going into the fermentation, like when they get a, you get, you get the, the tobacco in and you start sorting it, how long does it take to sort to get to uh, one pilon where it's, it's 2000 pounds, it's a ton of tobacco. How long does it take to sort one ton of tobacco? Well, yes. I would say, well, like in our case, we take between four to five days to finish all that because uh, we make the pilones with a specific tobacco. So maybe the sorting we're doing will give us 30% for a specific pilon and 20% for another pilon because, for example, we are going to make a pilon only for wrapper. And out of all the sorting we did, only 30% was wrapper. So the other was binder. So maybe the binder will be complete uh, uh, faster than the wrapper. So I would say four to five days, uh, only doing that. Okay, so four to five days to, to sort one pilon worth of, uh, of tobacco. And then it sits there for well, six months to a year fermenting and being rotated out and, and, and letting it kind of mature. Nick, like the next part's you, buddy, because it's at that point, once it's all ready, it's time for the chef to walk in, pick the ingredients that these folks have have curated for you and start blending and coming up with that recipe. Like when you when you walk in, like to me, I look at, at the video you took um, mm. 
and and Andres is showing you these this this pilon, and then you pan over to the and there's more there's a ton like as a chef like I like to cook I'm a fat white guy I get in the kitchen and and and, and mix it up um that's a lot of ingredients that you have to choose from how how do you kind of narrow that down and does the factory help you narrow it down based on what kind of flavor profiles you're looking for well when you're first starting out or have no experience yes you know the the people are going to tell you this is this this is that but that's why, you know, I've been doing it for a while where I know which tobaccos that I know I'm expecting certain flavor profiles and certain elements of what that finished product in my mind should taste like. But yeah, they're sorted out um, and they're put and they know which is what. And I'll say, hey, I'm looking for tobacco from this area, from this. Let's try something or like I'm an experiment with something I've never tried, and which I'm always adding because you know, you, you like to say I'm a master blender. I like to say, well, master to me is, you know, doing it every day for 20 years. That's a master. Uh, I, I, I only say I'm the master blender of my own brand of my own, because I'm doing it for myself, but it's, it's a process. It's years and years of experience. And depending on, you know, like our factory, we work with a, a number of different countries and we're always introducing new tobacco. Uh, we're using a lot of Pennsylvania now that we never really did before that I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, other factories uh, like Placencia, you know, they'll, they'll have it, you know, they're designed more for uh, setting up for doing all these types of uh, blending process where they'll have it sorted out in little, uh, um, little cubby holes or little, uh, I don't know what they call those things. Like, you know, little, little drawers for each yeah. little thing where basically I'll say, you know, try this and try that. And they'll pull it out from, the with the system that we have here um so yeah we we work with other people that come in and try to to create their own blends but there's a lot of assistance in the beginning especially uh, for people that have not blended so uh, when we do like when we do the tours we we do a, a blending seminar and that's a great way to try to teach people the process of blending so we're not going to tell them hey pick any tobacco you want buddy no you know, we know which tobaccos kind of go with what and say, well, you know what? You have a choice of this Dominican, this one, this one, this one. Try from these three or four and start there. Because if you have to go from an open canvas, like you said, you see a full kitchen of ingredients. It, it would to narrow it down for the novice, it would it would take forever, you know? Um, so if you have an idea or being guided to where you need to be, okay, try from this. This one works better with this. This one works better than that. And from experience, you figure it out. You know, I've used a lot of Peruvian and then the factory uses a lot of Peruvian because I find it's a common um, flavor profile that I like that the synergistic effect that comes with using that with Nicaraguan or Dominican or Brazilian, um, you get good effects. And by changing out those elements and not only the actual leaves, but the quantity, the percentage of each leaf you're using is going to change. So yeah, the blending process is, is a very masterful type of thing to do and it takes years and years and years of experience and like i said i'm still on that journey and uh you know i've been doing it for a while but man i'm far from a master i can tell you that you know because masters are people that do it every day you know for 20 years that's my uh, idea of a master blender absolutely absolutely so master blender nick just kind of walked us through and i'm just going to do that to piss you off uh walked us through that felipe but when when they come to you, when 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 the blender comes to you and says, "This is it. This is the recipe. This is what I want." 
who who do you teach that recipe first? Who gets that first? And then like, what's that process look like? Or so he tells you what's in it, or you've been watching him, so you kind of know what's in it. Do you put it? Do you weigh it so you know how much how much that cigar should weigh when it's done? Like how like what's the attention to detail? Like walk me through that process. <clears throat> okay, let's say that we already agreed a uh, blend. So. Uh, the first thing we have to decide is the vitola because we have to work on the proportion of each tobacco in order to create the flavor that you are looking for. Let's say it means that no matter if you're smoking a Robusto or a Toro, uh, the consistency and flavor should be always the same. So uh, our production manager is going to work on that. Uh, He's going to make a few samples and uh, he's going to write down the proportion that we are going to use on a, every vitola that we are going to make. And uh, after we have that, uh, we are going to uh, go to the rollers and we're going to explain them, okay, this is going to be the program. We have weights for every uh, vitola that we make. Nevertheless, we have to adapt it to the tobaccos that we are using because some tobaccos are heavier than others. Some of them are, have more fiber. And it doesn't mean that because the weight of a Robusto is a specific weight, we cannot modify it. We have to adapt it depending on the uh, raw materials that we are going to use. So uh, after we uh, set the Vitola, and the proportion, the production manager will take all this information and take it to the rollers. He will sit with the rollers. He will make a, at least 10 bunches, 10 cigars. And the other person will be paying attention to how he makes it, how he blends it in order to make all the lot of the production exactly the same. So yeah, depending on the, the, um, just to add to that, um, so every blend has got a different weight. Every Vitola, which is a Spanish word for size of a cigar, has, you know, their parameters, but it fluctuates a lot. Once you nail it down to what it's supposed to be, they'll say, okay, in this, uh, in this cigar size of this blend, the ideal weight will be 18 grams. Let's so. We have uh, an allowance of, like, say, maximum two two grams difference. So if it's 18, it can go 17 will be good, 19 will be good. 20 will not be good. So um, the next part that if we go to the rolling part, uh, if we're watching the video, if we've put that on, they, you know, each each torcedor roller, you know, and we work in pairs, as the, as the thing says, as the uh, video shows. So you have a roller. Uh, a buncher and a, and a uh, and the guy that puts on the wrapper. So they what you'll see in the video, which I don't I haven't seen in a lot of different factories because every factory does it differently. And what I really thought was fantastic, and I still see it to this day, they're still doing it, is we have supervisors that are at the tables, and at every pair there's a scale. And every cigar, not every six cigar, there's places that do one every 10 or every whatever. Every cigar goes through a ring to make sure it's the exact, you know, gauge of what it's supposed to be. And also the weight, 
And so, and then that's where you, if it's not, it's rejected or it's re-rolled. Well, let me, so let me ask you, a, let me ask you this because we had, we had Charlie uh, Minato on Nick, and, and he talked about, uh, you know, the variance in weight out of the, from the same cigar in the same box, but it's a handmade product. Number one. And number two, there are, there are factors that can affect the weight during transit, right? If it's, if it's, uh, overly, uh, humid out, like the right. cigar will, will suck that up. It'll get heavier. Right. And so right. that's going to vary from cigar to cigar. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, things that go, it's not just this tobacco tastes good and this tobacco tastes good together. Like we're going to put this, like you have to have certain tobaccos in there to make sure that it burns right, that it burns well, that it doesn't, it doesn't go out, that it'll burn consistent. There's a lot of different things that go into to, to blending the cigar and not just, oh, these taste great. So like it's, it, you can only, you can only control it so much. Is that true? No, you can control a lot from the factory, you know, um, you mentioned the different types of, you know, there's leaves that are there just for combustion. There are leaves there for flavor and aroma. There are leaves there for strength. There's every component, even though it's one tobacco plant, you know, there's five different elements in each cigar. So when it leaves the factory, like I said, we allow only a very small margin of error. After, yes, in transport, it can adjust it. Depending on the blend, we've decided what that um, what that weight should be. And we only allow for the two gram difference. Now, other factories may not have that strict um, guidelines. One thing I have to say, and it's one thing I love about the factory, is when people say, oh man, your cigars always burn right. They're always perfect construction. And, and not that I dismiss it, but I almost expect it. It's just been so consistent along the way where let's just say other factories, they don't have the same quality control that's in place that we do. And that's really the difference between a properly rolled cigar and not. I mean, you get great rollers, but on top of it, you have to basically, we inspect every single cigar for the size, you know, the gauge and the weight, every single one. So, when Charlie was saying, you know, in the previous episode, how there's such a variance between the, the different things, not so much in ours. You know, I didn't want to say that on the show because, you know, I'm not, you know, well, Charlie, you know, at our factory, we don't, you know, I didn't want to say that, but uh, you'll find less of a, of, of, of a difference. And again, it's a, the attention to detail and that's what makes a good factory from uh, an okay factory. And, and Felipe, it, you you talked about the the sorters taking three years to to really kind of get into the the flow of things with with sorting. What's it like with rolling? Like how long? Like what's the process to become a roller? And then how long does it typically like just on average take to be just like a a, a novice roller to becoming that experienced roller that every time it's it's perfect. Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, well, uh, in our case, because it will depend very much on the training process you have uh, at the factory, uh, our rollers need six months to get to uh, what we consider basic average level. It means that's a roller that can make uh, a Parejo cigar, I mean like a round head, like a Robusto or maybe a Toro, something not very difficult, 
something that uh, usually when they start, uh, they start learning with a robusto size. That's the format we give them. Uh, and they will start, well, they are going to be on a training process all the time because our idea is, okay, you already know how to make a robusto. Now you will move to a toro, from a toro to a gordo, uh, to the point that they can make any figurado, double figurado, which are those cigars with a different shape. Uh, but in our case, you need at least three uh, years to work with a torpedo, for example, which is the very first figurado they are given. And if we talk about uh, double figurado, those people need in the range of six to eight years of experience. Now, yeah. now, the good thing with the factory, and that's another thing I love about the factory, is the average age of experience at this factory. There's people that have been working here uh, that I'm sure Felipe was running around in, in diapers, and they're still here. You know what I mean? There are people that have been here forever and there is a training process. And generally the training is, you know, six to nine months is, is the general rule before you're considered okay to be able to really roll your first cigar. That's going to be part of the regular production. And then as he said, you go through tiers and they have different levels. Um, maybe not so formal here. I never really asked because the rolling has been so great, but in a lot of other factories, they'll classify him. He's a level one roller, level two, level three, um, other factories. They put him in like the, the, the less experienced guys are in the back and it goes up. We don't do that. You know, we don't do that. We will have, like I was noticing today, there was somebody that was sitting and I was saying to Felipe, why is this person sitting on this little chair, you know, on the side? He goes, well, he has to be watched by this person because they're doing a different one that they haven't done and, and they want to be watched the whole time. So there is not like put them out and let it go. There's a lot of, of factories, the larger factories are less attentive. You know, they'll try and then they'll reject half of them. No, no, we don't, we don't go for any reject. You know, we reject a lot of cigars, but the point of it is, we were more careful about the one. So there's less rejects and uh, there's more care, individual care. When you have supervisors or the people, I don't know what they call them, but I call them supervisors that stand there and are weighing and, and uh, gauging every cigar they're checking. And when you have people right there doing it, you're a little bit more attentive because I've been to the majority of factories. I don't know any, any other factory that I've been that does it in that form. They basically rollers are on their own. They do it. They take them, they bring them to the back and there's a separate department that goes through the cigars. And again, they're not pulling every cigar. They're not checking every cigar. They're checking every fifth, every sixth, you know, uh, especially, and that's why you have construction problems. You know, like in Cuba, as great as the tobacco can be, you know, I don't think they're checking every cigar because there's a much higher failure rate. And, and you can tell from the boxes you get, you know, half of them are, are you know, are plugged or and, and you don't find it as much on the non-Cuban. You know, I hate to slam the Cubans, but it's basically, you know, you it's quality control, man. It's yeah. all about quality control. And that's the main factor of a good factory versus, you know, there's a lot of you know, the tobacco itself. The, the fermentation process, they're sure. all important factors, but as important as all the rest. And in my opinion, the most important is the quality control. Cause at the end of the day, that's what the product is coming out. So that is a very important part of the process. Felipe, how, how many, <clears throat> Jesus, I go through puberty there. How many, uh, master rollers do you employ? 
where you are like, I can give this person a cigar. It doesn't matter the Vitola. They will, they'll knock it out of the park every time. Okay. Master Rollers, I would say we have like 24. 24 Master Rollers. That's a lot of Master Rollers for a factory, isn't it? Yeah. And as Nick explained before, those people have been working with us for a very long time. You know, like some of them, most of them have an average of 10 to 12 years working with us. Wow. And you've only been you've only been open for twenty six years. That's that's like twelve years. That's half the time, just about that you've yeah. been open. It takes to get to that level, and you've got twenty. And, and there's people that are rolling here that have been there from day one, from day one. That's you know, that's Andrew crazy. says, "Oh, this person's been here with us from the beginning." You know, so there's people there twenty plus years. Plenty of those guys there too. Well, that's got to be a testament. That's just a testament to to you and your father and your brother. That, that put the work in and, and make it a, a welcoming place to work and, and a place where you can grow. So kudos to you because that that's phenomenal. There's not a lot of uh, factories that do that. I know there's a lot of uh, people leaving factories, going to different factories, always like the, the grass is always greener on the other side. But to have 24 people that have spent average 12 years getting to that point with you guys, that's fantastic. Look, people knock down our doors to try to be rollers here. You know, now the biggest problem in Nicaragua is lack of rollers, you know, the, the, the lack of, uh, you know, because a lot of Nicaraguans are coming to the United States, you know, they're seeing all the Cubans doing it. Why not us? So there is a big shortage right now. Fortunately, we don't have that shortage and we always can pick the cream of the crop of people that come from other places and uh, we, we get the best of the best. And of course they stay a long time. And the other thing, as you mentioned, Testament to his father uh, Don Ullman is one of the kindest souls and you don't have to really, I, I don't know the relationship he has with the people, but from what I see when he's around, it's not like, Oh shit, the boss is here. They really see him as a father figure in so many ways. And he's very understanding, maybe not so much with his kids, you know, with, with teaching them, but with the employees, I see the way that they, they treat him and the way that they respect him. And it's, because he's a nice guy, you know, and I've been in other factories where you can tell they just don't give a shit. It's a job. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a job. They're here to earn money. But if you like where you work, it makes your job a lot easier. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what I'm really getting from this is that I can't just move to Costa Rica and become a roller. Okay, got it. Uh, uh, Felipe, he's like, we're hiring. Let's come on. Uh, let, let me let me ask you this. So a- after after the cigars are rolled, they're put on a uh, a uh, conveyor belt and they're moved. Down. And so then we get into the uh, kind of the packing of it. Right. The uh, the boxing of the cigars. Talk about that, because like who can do that when what are you looking for when you're boxing the cigars? What are you looking for? I am. Um... We're talking about packaging itself. Yes. Okay. So, uh, as we already explained this, uh, this is a natural product, impossible to have the same color in all of them. So the very first thing we're going to do is to take the cigars and make them in group with the closest color possible. So when you buy a box, a bundle, a package, whatever, uh, all those cigars will look 
pretty pretty much the same with the same color. Now, uh, some cigars have uh, those not nice veins, so we reject it. Uh, we reject them because they don't look nice. So the idea is to offer always uh, not only a good product in terms of construction, combustion, but also a nice looking cigar. So uh, we do a sorting process there with, where they have to uh, classify the the cigars per color. Uh, also, if some cigars they don't look nice, so we reject them. Uh, and when they are going to put the labels on, we always say that we are looking for the uh, good-looking face. That's how we say that in Spanish, meaning that we look for the part of the cigar that looks much better. So we put there the label. Uh, so your first impression will be, oh, this is a nice cigar. Maybe it has one part which is not the best, but the cigar will work perfectly. Uh, and also they control the texture because uh, even though during that uh, drying process, let's say aging process, this, the cigars can have some uh, changes in the construction and they can be a little soft. And so they touch every cigar, uh, they sort them. And once they make a bundle or a box, they are sure that the cigars are in the proper conditions. Now, is it, is I didn't it, take video. I didn't take video, James, because they were gone. But it's like a, it's it's uh, the department's called like a color grading department. Yeah. And it's generally women that are doing it. And they're basically grading the cigars from light to to um, to dark in a certain and, and the shades are so slight. That's why women are much better at it, because to me, they all look the same. But they're putting it together because the the presentation, as, as Felipe said, is so important. So you want to make sure the color is, they look almost identical, which they're not because they're natural and they're all different, but we try to keep them all bunched. Every box color is going to look the same. Um, so yeah, the color grading is also another part with a good wrapper, making sure that you're giving the best foot forward or the presentation of that product. Yeah. That was going to be, that was going to be my next question. Felipe is how, how many men do you have that, that are doing that? Or is it, is it predominantly like it's all women? Hundred percent women territory, <laughs> which is uh, totally, and I get that as a as a married guy, and my wife's like, which one of these shades of of gray do you like? I'm like, oh, they're all they're all gray. <laughs> I don't see a it's actually something something about women's eyes; they can perceive colors better. I mean, I remember reading something or researching more about it, and that's why the color graders are all women because they can see so much better the different various shades that, you know, men can't really see. Thankfully men are most of the buyers, but (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I, you know, it's very rarely that I open up a box of cigars and I'm like, Oh, these colors are all off. Like they always like, I'm like, Oh, these are all pretty uniform. So, I mean, it's definitely a process. It's a skill skill that I don't have. Uh, But, but it, it definitely is. So Felipe from, from when the tobacco comes into your factory, to the point where it's in boxes and now you have boxed everything up and you're shipping it out. How long has that tobacco been just in your factory? Well, um, if we consider the wrapper, we make a, a long process, but let's say including the wrapper, 
that is going to be with us no less than one year and a half, two years. I would say one year and a half is very fast, but let's say two years. Two years. That's crazy. Yeah. That's it. That that's that's. But I mean, that's what we 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 that's smoke. What it we, takes. That's yeah. What it that's takes. what it takes. You know. Felipe, what is like, so you're talking to consumers right now, right? So what is, in your opinion, like, give me the one thing you would want consumers to know about what you guys do. Well, we are very picky with the fermentation of our tobaccos. And I would say that's one of, uh, the things that make us different from our uh, competitors or mates in the industry, we do a, a long aging process of our tobaccos and we do not rush the production because uh, you as consumers, uh, you're expecting a good product with a good quality. And if you rush the different processes of the tobacco, you cannot offer that. So we work hard with very little details on the fermentation and that's what makes us uh, different. And I would say that we have been doing it well. That's mainly the main difference between us and other factories. Nick, you want to add to that? If if I can sum it up, um, the main difference is really can be summed up very simply attention to detail. That's it in all aspects, the fermentation, every factory differentiates itself primarily in the fermentation area, because that's where you get your flavors because you could ship the same tobacco that we get to another factory and you'll have a totally different product at the end of the day because of how it's cooked. When I say, I always say this too, like chicken, you know, you could have the same chicken. You can give it to five different chefs. One could be a five-star Michelin chef. One guy could be the food truck guy, same chicken, totally different process. So the attention to the, the whole process of the cooking, the presentation, the preparation, every aspect is what makes one factory differentiate from the other factory and also give it its unique identity. So attention to detail is what I would definitely say differentiates this factory from others. Do you see Felipe anything changing in the next five years as far as how you, how you there at the factory kind of approach the industry approach, uh, you know, your customers, which are the manufacturers, do you see, or is this going to be, this is it. Like we've perfected it. We're going to just keep doing it this way. No, for sure. Not. We are working on new projects uh we have very good things coming and our idea is okay if we are doing this in a good way there's always uh you can find a way to improve it so we are always trying to innovate in the different processes we are doing experiments with different tobaccos uh, so I cannot say that we will be exactly the same in five years because we know that uh, we are the kind of people who are looking to offer a good product. And if there is something new that we can adapt, that we can use, uh, we will do it. But for sure, we will be innovating 
in not only in tobacco, but in processes in order to offer a good product. But uh, for sure, there will be changes and you will see soon. Uh, good things are coming. Good stuff. Good stuff. Nick, is there anything you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I, uh, again, the attention to detail and just building on the core base of, the, of, the, of what we have here, which is the attention to detail. Innovation is always important. You know, things always change. Um, I'm sure things have changed a lot. And I, and I, but yet the, the basics are always the same. You know, I, like I said, I see the same rollers here every time I come. I see the same processes. They're just improving on it. Experimentation and innovation comes in every industry. If you don't change, you know what the phrase is, you're only as good as your last, you know, product. So if you give or don't keep it to the same standard, it's you're not, you're going to die. So uh, I don't see that happening. I, I want to say that uh, I'm very happy that the, uh, the reins, you know, of, of the, of the factory and the way that, it's being operated through the guidance of their father, you know, through these young guys that have come, like I said, neither, both of those guys didn't even smoke cigars when I first met them, you know? So to go from not knowing a damn thing That's about true. cigars, even though they were around, they were around it, you know, uh, they really didn't know, you know, so they've learned a lot, but you, you could be around it. But again, that osmosis process, they've been around it. It's a lot easier. It's in their DNA. You know what I mean? You pick it up much quicker and it's your livelihood and it's something that you're good at and you know your father it's his legacy and they're going to continue it and it's in good hands in the second generation and it'll continue uh i'm very happy with the uh, progress and uh, the way the factory is going so uh, <clears throat> nick i mean obviously you're in costa rica right now you two are in the same building you and felipe um we can infer then that you being in costa rica means that you have been working on something uh, when, I have. I when, have all when, when will we, uh, when, when will we be able to, um, see, uh, what you've been working on? Well, I'm working on three or four different things at the same time. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't rush anything. So I could easily say, yeah, I could throw out a, a blend tomorrow, but no, I want to make sure that it's the right thing for the right time. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of factors. So I, I don't really have any specific. I'm not near the end. I'm still in the blending process. I have some good um, prospects of where I'm heading and what I'm looking for and where it's going. Um, but I'm going to take my time with it and uh, enjoy it because I do enjoy the process. So and I enjoy being here. So I'm Fantastic. glad I'm here. Fantastic. I want to say a special thank you uh, to Felipe for opening up the factory to us here at Simply Stogies and letting Nick take some videos and, and coming on and talking about all the processes, because I think that the factory for the majority uh, of cigar smokers is still a little bit of a mystery um, as to what happens to that tobacco once it's out of the field, where it goes, how it's processed, how it's fermented, all of that. So, Felipe, thank you very much for taking the time today uh, to, to come on, talk about these things, to talk about your factory uh, and to talk about these processes. I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate this time with you and it's always to have this opportunity to, to talk to people and to share with you what we do. As you say, we are a still a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of thank mystery so behind it. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And Nick, I want to thank you. I know you're down there actually working and doing work and blending and 
you know, working with the factory and you taking the time to take the videos and jump on uh, uh, a Zoom call and, and be able to do this from Costa Rica, the, the wonders of modern technology. But I do appreciate your time and your effort to make this happen. This was, again, 100% Nick's idea. And it was a great idea because it gives you guys at home uh, a behind the scenes of, of kind of what goes on in a factory, maybe demystifies it a little bit. So, Nick, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate. And I, I think uh, I thought it was a good idea in the sense that hopefully we'll get a lot of people to ask questions, you know, uh, on the after hour show or people that are because I'm sure there's more questions out there that are, people are going to want to you know ask because we just basically touched on the surface of and and literally broad strokes about you know, how, what, what goes into a cigar. The one thing people can take away when everybody says, you know, how much is cigar? Oh, this is expensive. Listen, if you realize the amount of time and the amount of hands and talent um, that goes into making a cigar, this thing that we burn, the, you know, it, it's, um, it's a lot. And, and, it, and it's definitely an artisanal, artisanal um, talent that everybody in, in their individual jobs do to make this end product come out. So thank you. And I'm glad we were able to bring it to the uh, smooth, uh, simply smooth. Or the <laughs> smooth draws, whatever. It's fine. The smooth, the smooth, simply stogies. Cigar podcast. Cigar podcast. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate it, Nick. Um, and if you do have questions, look, first of the month, this next month coming up, whatever month that might be, December or January, depending on when this releases, uh, first of the month, YouTube live, um, Join us. Uh, if Nick's there, he'll have uh, you'll have an opportunity to ask him questions about the factory uh, and the blending process and all the things that go into it. Nick Nick is uh, versed in it, as is Felipe. Felipe is uh, well versed in it, steeped in it. He's born in it. He's, He's born, born in into it. it. Yes, one hundred percent. And it definitely shows in the product. Again, Felipe, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Nick. Thank you. Uh, join us next week. Uh, and I'm I, I'm hoping Nick doesn't have to explain this to Felipe, but he might uh, join us next week where we talk about Felipe behind his back and the factory. Uh, and then we put it out there for everybody to listen to and watch, including Felipe, if he so chooses uh, on the clear of the air with Tim. Uh, that'll be a great time. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. Uh, I would tell you about them. But again, I'm not really sure when this is going to release. It's just going to depend on some recording things. Uh, but uh, we'll be back uh, in a in a week with clear of the air and then. Uh, on the 15th of the month, we'll be back as well with a brand new podcast. Until then, uh, that's Felipe uh, and that's Nick. They're around here somewhere. I'm James. Stay smoky, friends. <laughs>